Welcome to season two of Biblio Observatory, a series of the South Carolina State Libraries podcast, Library Voices SC. I am Yvette Villarreal, Biblio Observatory hostess. And I am Caroline Smith, the Inclusive Services Consultant at the South Carolina State Library. This is a special transmission from Columbia, South Carolina to explore the universe of books and stories that people treasure from their childhood and how those stories define the, the lives of people touched by them. Hello, everybody. We are sending you caring greetings and we will love to introduce you to our guest who actually participated many years ago, about seven years ago in that meeting that sparked the beginning of Bible Observatory. And our guest today is Miss Ellen Stringer. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you. It's so good to be with you both. And I really appreciate the whole concept of the project and the sharing that it involves. It's something that has been uh, a lifelong joy of mine is that sharing of stories and books with children and families. I've been retired now for six years from being uh, a youth services librarian with Lexington County Public Library, but I have been overjoyed to be invited back to uh, participate with the parent educators in Lexington School District One for story times with the immigrant families that they serve. And it's one thing that you learn that you may not be in a professional setting anymore, but the children are the same and just as hungry for those stories that you share. And the parents appreciate so much the opportunity to further their facility with language and get to know the rhythm of ours. What was one of your favorite books or stories you heard when you were growing up? There was a book that I loved and then I was lucky enough to be able to share it with my children and now with my grandchild. And it was called Grady, the Cow in the Silo. And my mother found the book, a little golden book, that was um, from a true story out of the Midwest. But it has that wonderful combination of rhythm and rhyme that make for a timeless story and people interacting with animals, <laughs> a farm setting. It had everything. And it started like this. There once was a little old woman named Mrs. O'Crady. Everything she had was little and old, except for Grady, who was a big, beautiful, brown-eyed cow who ate lots of grass and lots of milk, gave lots of milk that Mrs. O'Crady used every day. And it goes on and poor Grady gets bit, bitten by a big bothersome blue bottle fly. And she's so hurt and so shocked that she jumps and runs 
and wedges herself in the corn silo and can't get out. So then the rest of the action is about Mrs. O'Crady trying to figure out with her friends and neighbors how to get Grady out of the silo. So it's also one of those cumulative tales that children love because of the repetition as well as the rhythm and rhyme of the story. And it is still in one piece, that book. And it's now gone to live in Southern California with my granddaughter, who also loved it, as well as Lauren, from the, my older daughter from the time she was three. And I knew what an impact it had made because what we call pre-reading, she would at three and a half, put it on the coffee table. That was the right height for her. And then she would turn the pages and she'd say, Grady, say me so, Grady. Moo, say Grady. And then she'd turn the page <laughs> and say another rhyme or another interchange between, uh, another exchange between Miss O'Grady and the cow. And that made me know that treasures like that just do not age, do not go out of date. It had the important ingredients for connection with succeeding generations. Did you remember how old were you when you first heard that story? I think I was a little bit older than Lauren. I think I was more like five. And it was your mom that read the story to you? Yes. Yes. And it also taught the days of the week. It covered so many things because it would say, and Miss O'Grady baked on Monday and then Tuesday she would work in the garden. Wednesday she would do laundry. And then that reappeared later in the story when she was trying to come up with the way to get Grady out of the silo. And she thought about it when she baked on Monday and when she did this on Tuesday and when she did the laundry on Wednesday. <laughs> and they finally greased Grady because Miss O'Crady figured out if a greased muffin slipped out of the muffin pan, maybe Grady would slip out of the silo if they covered her with shortening. <laughs> and she did, <laughs> happy ending. Do you remember what was going around you when you were listening at uh, your mom narrating this story? Do you remember where were you? How were you feeling? The things that surrounded you in those moments? I don't really have a clear picture of that, but I know that we almost always sat together on the sofa in the evening once she put my ratty baby brother to bed. And that was time that we had just the two of us to share books and stories. Do you have any other stories that you treasure? As I got a little bit older, like a lot of girls, I was very horse crazy. And so as I began to read, then I discovered the Billy and Blaze books, such wonderful illustrations. And I was always a visual as well as an auditory learner. So I loved those artworks in the books and they meant as much as the stories did to me. 
And once I finished those early readers, then I moved on to the Marguerite Henry books and the stories of Misty of Chincoteague. Again, a series that was drawn from real life from the island of Chincoteague where off of Virginia, where I grew up, they had the annual pony pinning day with the wild ponies. So that was wonderful to know that those stories were really happened and, uh, and the children in them actually lived and helped with those ponies every year in the summer. And I got to share that with my granddaughter last summer and we sat and cried together when Misty was in terrible straits and trying to have her, her little foal in a bad storm and to see how it affected my granddaughter who was then uh, eight, about the age I was introduced to it. That meant so much to be able to, to literally feel those emotions with her again. And I think that is the mark of uh, a great story and a great storyteller, that they are able to touch those emotions with stories and pictures. Certainly, we are in very difficult times during this 2020. And you have mentioned something about emotions and coping. Would you like to talk about that a little bit more as a librarian? Well, as a librarian and a mother also, because some things we forget that were very meaningful. And that's one of the uh, treasures of having close friends. And sometimes they supply a memory that has slipped out of your memory bank. And uh, my mentor at Charleston County Public Library, soon after grad school, she was like a second mother to me after I lost mine within a few years of Claire's birth, my second child. And Della would say, you know, Ellen, I always remember that when Claire would be upset or crying and couldn't get herself straightened out, you'd say, Claire, let's sit down and read a book. <laughs> and I had no memory of that for some reason. But um, I think that being able to be in the moment, whatever that moment is, and whatever particular events are going on in time and in the child's life, being able to tune into that and help them to process. And I think that is a very important lesson I learned from the, uh, my mentor and predecessor, Jane Connor at the State Library, the first youth services consultant there, is she would remind us in workshops, honor the book. So sometimes it's very tempting to interrupt the book because you want to make sure that that young child is appreciating everything that's going on in the story. But there's plenty of time for that after you finish. And if it is a beautiful book, both visually and audibly, then let that book speak and let that child slowly process what's happening 
And after you have finished, then give them time to ask any questions or explain anything that that might have been a little bit unclear to them. And that is one program that I developed at the library that, that turned out to be just so much more than I ever dreamed. And we called it Books and Beyond. And we realized that so many uh, primary school students were missing those preschool story times. We brought them up right. And they wanted something else besides just uh, make and take it or coming for uh, music and movement. So one of the things that we did was shine a spotlight on those picture books that often get totally lost because they are put in the nonfiction, juvenile nonfiction section. And a lot of times neither parents nor children find them. Or if they find them, they say, oh, that's a baby book because it's in a picture book format. But they're often very beautiful and well-told stories that go a little bit deeper than the easier preschool picture books. So in Books and Beyond, we would take a book like that, share it with a group of children, five, six, seven-year-olds, then have a discussion with them afterwards. And they were wonderful in bringing up things we might never have thought about and questions that came up. It might be about a certain period in history. One I particularly remember was the chocolate, the chocolate soldier that I may have murdered that title, but that was something close. And there was an American pilot at the end of World War II who saw how devastated Germany was in his flights over it. And they were airlifting food and supplies to some of these badly bombed towns. And he decided that those children needed something besides just the basics, something to bring a little joy and something for them to look forward to. And he came up with the idea of dropping chocolates. And of course, they were thrilled. This was a, a delicacy, a treat that they hadn't had a lot of them in years. And he got commendations for this and it was something that touched him deeply. One of the parts of uh, Books and Beyond, the second part of the program was to have a craft activity with the children that expanded upon something in the story and grew organically out of that experience of sharing that story. So that particular day in Lexington, we made very simple homemade parachutes out of napkins and pipe cleaners. And then of course we had a chocolate wound at the, with the uh, pipe stems. And watching those children toss them into the air in the meeting room and actually getting to experience looking up and watching them float back down to them. It was a very simple activity, but very meaningful and really brought that story to life for them. And that's the kind of thing that really is so rewarding as you are sharing 
with children and finding different ways to connect that story to their lives. So since the time when you heard those early stories in your childhood, you've worked with your own family and many other children in the community through your career as a librarian and worked with people who have come from all walks of life and very diverse cultural backgrounds and experiences. So with all of that, how do you find a book or a story that's really going to resonate with a child? And what do you look for to find something that will connect that story to their own life experiences? It's a many headed monster that you have asked me about there. And one thing I would say at the outset is an open mind is very, very important. One of the things that I would stress with youth services, new hires, new programmers, is that you cannot really think about your own agenda and just your background and your values and things that you believe are important to building character, building literacy skills. It is the quality of being open, being welcome, being approachable. And those are the same things that you need to look at as you're evaluating a book and thinking about sharing it with the children. We were lucky enough to have many different communities that we serve in Lexington County that had their very own identity, their own personality, if you will. And when I was planning programs for a small rural setting, I would have different things in mind than I might have if I'm sharing it in Irmo or Lexington or, or West Columbia with the families there. So know your audience. That is absolutely job one. And of course, the age of the child, the developmental stage of the child. And the other thing is to realize that not just the book, but thing, other things in that program may reach children that are more attuned to different ways of learning. So the rhymes, the songs, and just the person that is sharing that experience. They want to know that you care, that they're there, that you are welcoming, and that you are open to things that they might like to share. All of those things help to make that child have a very good experience and want to repeat it. And that is important too. No matter how much you want to teach and reach, if the child doesn't feel that you care about them individually and want to see them again, they're not going to particularly want to see you or hear you again. <laughs> I'm not a singer. I say I, I sing with small children who are not judgmental and a lot of younger people coming into the community, coming into 
the library community got very much into the technology and the bells and whistles and wanted to have recorded music. And a lot of children respond to that. Professionally produced, I get that. But for me, it was something that could be something that was a block that put another uh, bit of a roadblock in between you and the children that you were trying to reach. So each person has to find their own particular style, whether you're a mother at home with a child, whether you're in a professional setting, whether you're on a stage, whether you're at a storytelling festival, each person has to come up with that genuine connection that they respond to. Because if you have been touched by a book, by a story, then when you share it, you are going to communicate that feeling and that genuine emotion. And I know my mother was a very shy person and insisted that I do dancing lessons and children's theater. I'm very thankful for that. She didn't want me to be handicapped by that. And I so appreciate that she at least felt comfortable reading one-on-one -on -one with us and telling her family stories. I don't remember my father reading with me. I think it's so important for fathers to take part in that in a family. And we would talk about that uh, with parents in the library setting and encourage them. If it wasn't reading, sing with them, share your family stories. They are so important. And no one knows them better or can share them better than you. When my mother was taking road trips with us back to her home in Pennsylvania, she would share stories from her growing up. And those are treasures to me. And now my granddaughter at Thanksgiving last year, she decided that she would write a little personal message to each of us at the table and hide it in our napkins. And then we opened it and read it. And it was things that she was thankful for and appreciated about each one of us in the family. And when it came to me, she said, Omi, you are funny and punny, and I love your stories. And that meant the world to me. And when we talked by phone or FaceTime together, Omi, tell me another story about growing up or about your family. So I don't know if I answered that question or not, but. <laughs> you did it beautifully. Thanks. The one thing I didn't really maybe fully address was the diversity issue, but a dear friend of mine who helped me establish a wonderful program series at the library, Yvette, who is our hostess here today, when I was worried about not having the facility with Spanish that I would like to have had, despite some lessons and a third grade <laughs> class, she reminded me that a smile goes a very long way in making a child or a family feel welcome. 
and they will read in you whether you are open and really want to be with them and share with them and also care about what they have to share. It's a two-way street. <laughs> and I would just add, based on my own experience, I've worked with a lot of families that maybe because the parent does not speak English or can't read very well themselves, they feel like they can't share that those stories with their kids. But I yes. think what you said touched on that, that just share what is meaningful and resonates with you, um, even if it's, you know, a picture that you can tell the story about or an item in your house. It doesn't even have to book, be a book that you're reading. Right. Just sharing those uh, memories and creating that connection is building the same love of storytelling and um, just as if it was a book that you're right. reading from the library. And, and even if it's in another language, it's still building those literacy skills as well. Yes. I didn't realize how universal the experience was with all different education levels and all different ethnicities of the memory of first having had a story or a book shared with you, usually by a family member or a caretaker, until I did a workshop with entry-level daycare workers and as an icebreaker, I decided to go around the room and let each of them say what that earliest memory was of having a story shared with them. Well, we had an hour and a half after the introduction and that. We never got to any of the scripted activities or lessons because each one of them was so taken back in their lives and the realization I felt was worth everything. They could take the handouts and get a lot of it themselves because it was about choosing and how to share stories in the daycare setting. But those memories that she, they shared with each other and reminded themselves of, that was, that was the treasure of the night. Ellen, do yes. you see any connections between that story or the stories that your mom told you and your life as a grown up? Oh yes, I think it's an integral part of the person that I grew to become and it was so ingrained in me by my mother and also my father to some extent that we treasure our families, our roots, our traditions, but we also reach out and care about learning about others because those connections broaden and deepen our understanding of each other and make possible the relationships that we build and the bridges that we build among cultures, just like the one I have with you. Well, Ellen, I just wanna thank you 
for your kindness all these years, for talking today about genuine connections, those things that, and those stories that comfort us during challenging times, and for being here with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, gracias. And thank you so much again for being here with us today. And I would also like to thank our listeners. Um, if you would like to subscribe to Bibli Observatory, you can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, and we are accepting nominations for new guests on our Bibli Observatory podcast. So please get in touch and send us your comments. Yes, please, please, please. Uh, Bibli Observatory is a collaborative literacy initiative to connect our communities and children with the joy of listening, reading, and writing those memories from childhood that changed our lives. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.